Well, you might have heard of the saying, from rags to riches, and we have all, especially in America, tales of what quintessentially means to actually make it out of nowhere with nothing into something big. And perhaps you've heard the story of the steel magnate Andrews Carnegie, who was a small one-room home born in Dummer Line, Scotland. He came to America in 1800 with nothing, starting a job in a textile mill where he earned only $1.20 for a week. But then from that he starts to become a messenger boy and factory worker before eventually won a job as a secretary and telegraph operator at the railroad of Pennsylvania. And by 1859, he had become superintendent of the railroad's Western Division. And what he did is he invested his newfound wealth in a variety of businesses, including Bridgeworth Company, a telegraph operation, and most famously, a steel mill. And his Carnegie Steel Company had blossomed into an industrial empire and then led him to sold out for $480 million. And as he gave away that money, he proclaimed that the man, the man who dies rich dies disgraced. He spent his last years of his life donating his fortune to charitable causes, over $350 million. And while this is a small version of what the world comes, the American dream, the world does not realize, however, that it is by God's providence that everything takes place in this life. Everything in this life. And we see in our story tonight, as we continue our journey through the book of Ruth that we started last week, the beginning of a change from rags to riches. You recall this is our second act in our story. The first act was the very much tragedy for those who were not here last Sunday of chapter 1, where we had out, outlined there for us the need of redemption. We talked about death. We talked about goodbyes. And ultimately, the beautiful picture of Ruth loyalty. But everything was pretty sad in chapter 1. And now, the need of redemption developed into Chapter 2, which we could call Redemption Provided. Redemption needed last Sunday, Redemption Provided this Sunday. That Naomi's rescue from her seemingly impossible financial situation, remember, she's a widow. And she was without hope, she was bitter, remember, last week. But here we have glimpses of hope. And remember also that this story makes sense only in light of ancient Israel cultural um, law of Leverites. Leverites, Leverites, where widows, according to the Old Testament, needed to be provided for by their sons. And if their sons died, then the brother of the deceased was supposed to produce a son who would then take care of his aged mother. We find this in Deuteronomy 25, verse 5 and 6. If brothers well together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. 
Her husband's brother shall go into to her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Now we are not yet at the point of the story, but every character in this chapter, whether it's Boaz, whether it's Ruth and Naomi, are already leaning that way. That the need of redemption in chapter 1 was because all the sons of Naomi had died. And now we come to this chapter which must be understood on the heel of what we saw last Sunday. Last Sunday we saw a famine. Last Sunday we saw a lack of bread in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And we saw... The family going to Moab and then the lack of harvest and the lack of sons and death. However, in this chapter, we already see a turning point. Uh, The opposite is found. Bounty provision all over the place for the needy Naomi and Ruth. And what we make of this is that certain events in our lives are orchestrated by divine providence to demonstrate the kindness of God. Toward those who take refuge in Him. Just like Ruth does. Certain events in our lives are orchestrated by providence. To demonstrate the kindness of God. Toward those who take refuge in Him. And we have three characters here in our text. We start with the first character. And this is scattered throughout your, the entire chapter. We have Boaz the provider. Boaz the provider. Let's look first at the pedigree of Boaz. Boaz here is the, just like other names in the story, remember last time, it was like entering into Pilgrim Progress, every name had a meaning, right? Well, Boaz is no exception. His role here is, in the Lord is strength. That's the meaning of Boaz. A strong man. Our text there in verse 1 tells us immediately, to the beginning, that this man is a relative, a kinsman. One of the family members of Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. Which is exactly who, according to that Old Testament law of the Leverite, has to fulfill the responsibility for the dead. And he's described here in verse 1 as a mighty man of wealth. Now, there's two ways you can translate that word. Either a rich man from the upper class who is a landowner, financially prominent. Or you can translate it as a worthy man of noble character in the inner sense that later Ruth will be described in chapter 3 verse 11 as a virtuous woman with the same exact word that is used here for Boaz there's a sense in which Boaz is both he is both a wealthy man but he's also a noble a man of a character he's, uh, we might be dealing here with a rich uncle who's well to do But he's also a man of character. And on the heel of last week's tragedies, where Naomi has lost everything, that's exactly what you need to turn things around. In this sense, Boaz is everything that Naomi and Ruth lack. He's abundantly full, he described here for us. And also he's of the clan of Elimelech, so he's an in-law. And now in verse 3, Look at the second part of verse 3. Ruth comes and she happens 
to come in the field of Boaz. Now that the text there says she happened to come. Literally in Hebrew this can be rendered like a ch her, chanced her chance to come upon the field of Boaz. I mean from the perspective of, of, uh, of Ruth she randomly picked up a field. But the irony here is clear. Because it turned out to be that that was actually not so unfamiliar place. She stopped right there where eventually Boaz is. The part of the field, not even the entirety of the field. The plot is her lot. This is said by the author with an ironic tone. That this is not a chance. That God is providentially at work leading her there to that specific spot that belonged to Boaz. From there, again, the text says again, the clan of Elimelech. Twice. Strange things as the author has already told you about. The fact that he comes from the clan of Elimelech. This, this is not just redundant. He's almost screaming at you that this was no coincidence. That she found herself riding in hands of providence. And verse 20, the second part, tells us more of the pedigree of Boaz. He's a relative of nearest kin of ours. A closest relative. Not just any relative. Literally, that the word relative is actually a redeemer. A redeemer or the guardian of the family's interests. Which according to that Old Testament law was to come and redeem the name of the dead and all of her property of Naomi. We'll see why this word is so crucial throughout the story of Ruth. The Redeemer. The guardian Redeemer. Technically, being a Redeemer meant having the responsibility to take care of widows of the deceased kinsmen, to be part of a covenant community in the Old Testament. The one who in fact has the right of redemption over Naomi and over Ruth. That's why at the end of verse 20, Naomi comments, He is one of our redeemers. That our name, our prosperity, our posterity, technically he's responsible to do and take care of that. As a family member and also because we are widows. That is why Stephen Charnock Speaking of divine providence, I said once, Though providences may seem to cross one another, they shall never cross God's promises. That if you've been a believer for quite a while, you know that nothing, literally nothing happens by chance. That things don't just happen. That God's providence is always at work to the tiniest minute detail to the point that you can exclaim that this is none other than the hand of God. Now this, is, this doesn't make the losses that Naomi went through easier, does it? She's still bitter. But yet, she trusts in God's providence, even at the end of this chapter, even with all of her disappointments, as we saw last week. That yes, everything was under the providence of God. It was a bitter pill to swallow, to lose everything. But that your anxiety, your unfulfilled dreams, you look at your life and it seems to be pointless. 
But we who are supposed to claim to believe in God's providence, we should put that to practice. That when I saw all this, I couldn't understand, but God has a plan. And He in our story is in the details to fulfill His plan, even through unlikely means. And also, notice how Boaz here with his pedigree shows us that we as Christians, especially I think here of fathers, husbands, future men, we're supposed to be the source of blessing for others. That we saw even in, in Genesis, Abraham, the promise given to Abraham is to be a source of blessing for the nations. And do you see yourself, your job, your acquaintances, your undertakings in a way that becomes what Boaz is doing, being a source of blessing. But Boaz is also important for his providential role. Let's look further at verse 3. The, fir the first part of verse 3 is that Ruth sets out and goes and gleans after the reapers. That Boaz is unaware that he's the channel of divine blessing here. But notice his generosity. That he gives, verse 14, Boaz is continue. Not only he allows Ruth to glean, but even invites her to eat bread, dip the morsel in the wine, which is kind of a privilege. And it's almost like foreshadowing that this, there's... There's an interest he seems to have toward Ruth. He gives us roast grain. She eats until she's full. He gives us her leftover. Provides for her. Even for Naomi. Verse 15 to 16. Not only that, but Boaz instructs the servants on purpose to let her glean all the way to the sheaves. And he tells them, do not rebuke her. Do not stop her. So that it, it is easy for her to take all that she needs and he even says pull some grain out for her and leave it for her behind i mean what a what a hand of providence that god is using actually through boaz who is unaware he also is a man who cares cares deeply boaz says in verse 4 and 5 he's coming back from the errands in bethlehem and he talks with his reapers they have this exchange where they say the lord bless you and it's almost the same way of saying, how, how are you all doing? It's not the word you expect, however, from a boss that he will come to you and says, God be with you. It's almost like, hey, what are you doing? Get back to work. But he is a God-fearing man. And he, he asks, he immediately notice Ruth. And he asks, who is this woman? Where did she come from? Because again, it's interesting that he says, whose young woman is this? You know, in patriarchal culture, this woman belonged to a man. She's, he's already asking either her father, if she's unmarried, or her husband, if she's married. But none of those, actually. She, she does not have a man. And interesting that she go, he goes about it right in terms of marriage, because later they will get married. I mean, she has to belong to someone is almost what... Boaz is saying in this word. I mean, we read in between the lines. But it seems like he's already interested in Ruth's marriageability. You could say some love at first sight. He definitely seems pleasantly surprised. Because he gives this preferable treatment to her. And we learn later, God definitely is behind 
the curtain of the story. And also notice verse 8 and 9. The picture one gets of Boaz is of a compassionate person. He even gives Ruth an advice. He says, listen carefully, my daughter, my dear. And he urges, do not glean in another field. Keep close to my workers. It's almost hiring her. He already has reiterated the point by saying, even charge the work, do not touch. And if you are thirsty, you can drink. I mean, this is, he's going out of his way to make sure she feel welcome and protected. Boaz, we are told in verse 10, takes notice of Ruth. He's concerned about her. Although he barely knows her, although discouraging, especially in, in the fact that she is a foreigner, she doesn't even belong to the people of Israel. God's law in Leviticus 23, 22, however, had a provision for foreigners. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleaning of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. So Boaz in this sense, friends, he's obedient to God's word. He's God-fearing in the way that he's acting here to the last bit. Boaz is the, yes, the rich uncle, but he's also a man of character who takes interest and providentially helps Ruth. And if we have eyes to see, the, the number of so-called coincidences in our life can get endless. Easy to say when all is well, but precisely in the mess that we saw last week, where Naomi loses everything, God comes in. And through human instruments, He cares for the needy. I think of God leading, you know, us in the past season together. I think of the way God brought, you know, you think about those who are married, the way God brought you and your spouse together. And we will see the next point. That all this is intended to lead us to rejoice in God's love toward us. But again, Boaz here, and all this language seems to be pointing here to a greater Redeemer. To the one who obeys God's law, keeps the covenant, is hospitable and graciously leaves behind gifts for unworthy sinners like us. As concern for the poor notices us, even while we were yet sinners, strangers to God and to His covenant people, pagans and foreigners to God's promises, helpless in our sin, God takes notice of us. He's kind toward us. He defends us from attacks and satisfies our thirst. He provides for us generously true, lasting, spiritual food. He compassionately raises us to a status that we could never imagine. That's what happens when you come to Christ. That God brings you all the way here tonight to see this, to have this encounter with the greater and ultimate Redeemer. That He has provided... That ultimate redemption, as we'll see in, also in coming chapters. But let's, let's now move on to the second character of the story, which is Ruth, who has the spotlight here. Boaz the provider, Ruth is the providing. Look at her pedigree instead. She is not part of the people of God. She's described in, in this chapter several times with a pejorative qualifier. She is the Moabite, foreigner. 
verse 2 and verse 6. The fact that the servants comment immediately and repeatedly, she's a Moabite from the country of Moab. She's a young woman from Moab. She's definitely not one of us, you could say. And this is a problem. If you understand the ancient context behind this title, that's her stumbling block in the story. And in verse 10, the second part, her own self-evaluation proves this negative point. That being a foreigner made her unapproachable like a leper. He's asking in verse 10, second part, why do you take notice of me? I mean, the, there's, she's surprised. But why? Because I am a stranger, a foreigner. She's a woman. And that back then it was already a minus. But from another country, he must know she's a stranger. And if showing favor to foreigners was a problem, indeed, it was in Israelite culture very much the case. Is our pedigree any better? You may say, oh, I'm not a poor beggar like Ruth, nor a stranger. But this, if we have been honest, is the condition of all of us. By nature, since birth, we are strangers to God ultimately. We live in sin in the world. And it's right there that the gospel comes in, that we undeserving of God's mercy. And it makes sense, such message, only for those who humble themselves before God. Those who say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to deserve even one of your kindnesses? That is Ruth's reaction. But look also, Ruth, the second point here. In Ruth, she's a hard-working woman. We see here the picture of an industrial woman. And remember what I told you last time, that Proverbs in the Hebrew Bible comes before Ruth. In the canonical order, it's a very different order. And Ruth comes right after. So she is like Proverbs 31, a source of blessing to her mother-in-law. In fact, without her in the story, things would have been very, very different for Naomi. If she would have turned back in chapter 1. They have come back, yes, but the house is perhaps in ruin. They're still poor. And Ruth has thought about it and now in light of her previous vow she tells us let me go to the field to glean among the ears of grain you pick up the leftover grain stalk behind the reapers and this is a decisive request to Naomi and after him in whose sight I shall find grace and favor I'm sure I can find someone who will let me work I mean she has faith that she will find some kind of enough good Enough man who will allow her to glean. And that's exactly what happened through Boaz. And uh, Naomi allows her. But like last week, we see in her also, also a picture of loyalty. That Ruth is not doing this for herself. She has a laborious spirit, not driven by a selfish desire to make money. But by her loyalty toward her mother-in-law and her need. And we've seen this in chapter 1 already. The, the poetic vow that she took, where you go, I'll go, where, and uh, your people shall be my people, my God, your God, my God. Verse 7, it continues the hard working of Ruth. She said to the servants of Boaz, please allow me to glean in the sheaf. She insists. And the servant comments to Boaz, she has persisted to work from early morning until now. 
from daybreak, she's been at hard work, except for a short rest, verse 7 says. I mean, she's hardly got some break. This is a hard-working woman. Verse 11 also. Apparently, Ruth loyalty to Naomi had passed around in Bethlehem because he says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me. I mean, it's almost like the, the, the man in the news, the one about which everyone talks, who does what is good. That is the fullness of her devotion to Naomi and loyalty and hard work. But the focus is on the, the fact that this, not only her husband died and she decided still to help her mother-in-law, but also that she left her native land coming to an unknown people, uh, living a, a, among complete stranger. I mean, this is not a comfortable spot. It denotes sacrifices. And Boaz, like many in Bethlehem, at this point is appreciative of all that. And speaks this way almost as if Ruth is no longer a foreigner. And in verse 12, it's the, it's the crucial in the overall scheme of the plot. Boaz now declares a blessing over Ruth. Wonderful blessing for all that she has done for Naomi. May the Lord, and she, he uses the covenant name of God. And Ruth, as a Moabite, technically is still out of that covenant. But because of her promise last chapter, your God shall be my God. It ends to the fact that she's already a proselyte of the God of Israel. And, he, and this is the, the blessing. May the Lord repay for what you have done and give you full rewards by the Lord, the God of Israel. The stress on God is not secondary given the fact that she's a Moabite. Three times the name of God is repeated. Under whose wings, the wings of God, you have come to find refuge. This word right here, the wings, is the center of, you know, Hebrews do, do not use rhymes like we use in our poetry, but they use something that is called a chiasm, where the same thought is repeated, and then another thought, another thought, then a central thought, and then the, the thought number reverse all the way down. Which means the center of attention in this chapter is under whose wings you have come. The boss promises here to provide. Ruth requested, and it refers again those wings to the edges of the wings. This is an imagery that Israelites are familiar in the Old Testament. God bore his people under the eagle's wings, sheltering them beneath his wings as a hen does her chicks. This is also an imagery that Christ will pick up in Luke 13, verse 34. That he desires to gather Jerusalem children as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Or sadly, they were unwilling. And so Ruth has come to find refuge, trust, and protection under the wings of the Almighty. Ruth herself has sought protection from the God of Israel. It must refer to her faith. But it's also further encouragement for her to continue to find refuge in God. Such self-sacrifice that you see in Ruth is the essence of what it means to follow God. Living everything to 
behind to gain Christ. That's why Jesus in the New Testament promises disciples who leave father and mother and lands and the, for the kingdom of God shall receive much more in this life and in the life to come. This is what comes in finding refuge in the Lord under the wings of the Almighty. That you make the Lord your sanctuary. The Son of Righteousness who was prophesied the Messiah rises with healing in His wings. Malachi 4 verse 2. That there's healing, friends, in the edge of Christ's garments. However, don't be like stubborn Israel. I'm willing to be gathered under Christ. Do not trust in yourself. Not even in your virtues without the grace of God. Only sheltered under His wings. As Psalm 17 verse 8 says, Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Because those who trust in the Lord like, in this case Ruth can mount up with wings like eagle. Working as she does without fainting. Not because Ruth has anything of her own. I mean, she's weak. She has no resource. She is a foreigner. But because trusting God changed her. As God proves His faithfulness and favor toward her. And look at verse 17 and 18. She works until evening. She makes a near a full sack of barley. Almost too much to carry. But again, notice the language here. After a famine, the famine and the loss of a husband. What would it look like? Or after you fasted a little bit and, and then you go back to eating. What does it feels like? This is like winning jackpot, a lottery or a slot machine. The, the, the amount of food that she brings back home to Naomi, it's able to sustain several persons for an extended period of time. And Naomi's completely shocked and asks when, when you know, Ruth comes back, who took notice of you? It's obvious to Naomi that someone took interest in Ruth because she has brought so much bounty. Ruth replies, she works for Boaz Field. But also look lastly at Ruth's humility. Verse 10, the first part of verse 10. Ruth in this chapter praised the Lord of a subordinate servant. I am no, not even one of your servants. Before Boaz, Ruth falls on her face, bows to the ground. She's thankful for his care, but also... In humility, she wonders, why are you so kind to me? Verse 13, she's surprised by the blessing of Boaz, and she replies with humility. She's found favor in, in your eyes. She calls him my Lord. She calls herself his servant. She thanks him for comforting him with kind words, and clarifies that I'm not one, like one of your servants. Humility. She does not have such standing. Not even to be a servant. That's what missionary David Livingstone once says. You fear God and work hard. That Ruth is the poor foreigner. However, laboriously and humbly seeks shelter in the God of Israel. And just like we saw last week. I want to re-emphasize this. That this is the picture of a godly woman. Proverbs 31 ended... With verse 31, give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. And this is exactly what's happening in this story. Remember this book? 
Right after Proverbs is the illustration what that woman looks like. So her quality, her good name before others, and her hard work are an outstanding example of this. Therefore, she's a model for all women of what it looks like to be a virtuous woman. And it's her industriousness that was attractive to Boaz, not just her outward appearance. The key of all this, however, is not coming up with, you know, strengthening ourselves, but placing your trust and refuge in the God of Israel. The reason why she laughs at the time to come is not because of her own strength, but because she trusts and finds refuge in the wings of the God of Israel. So here is not the calling to ask ourselves, do I have this quality? Or I get discouraged when that's not the case. We should ask ourselves, does my life reflect complete trust in God? Have I made God my shelter? Or am I seeking refuge in other things in this life? But notice also in, that in Ruth, that these qualities are not for self-exaltation. I mean, Ruth is hardworking, but also very humble. As uh, Proverbs 22, verse 4 says, The reward for humility is riches, honor, and life. She does everything she does for others. For her helpless mother-in-law. She goes out of her way to step in the area of need, whether in marriage or in church, at work. We should seek to breach that gap and serve the Lord. May God open our eyes. And again, most fundamentally, this is... The only way we can be redeemed with being humble sinners, even a second class citizen, but you receive the promise of salvation as you humble yourself. Now, lastly, we look at the third character in our story, which is Naomi. If Boaz is the provider and Ruth is the providing, then Naomi is the provided. Uh, I don't need to remind you what her pedigree was. We saw that last week. Naomi was a bitter woman who had lost everything. Husband had died. Two sons had died. She was left with nothing and she had come back to Bethlehem in bitterness and complete hopelessness thinking that God's hand was against her. That all of this was a result of God's judgment on her and that she doesn't understand why. And she's completely hopeless. Naomi's here and in following chapters, however, on the receiving end of God's blessing now. I mean, picture her reaction now. In light of her whole complaint that she gave us last week. The bitterness that we encountered. She now sees the hands of providence right before her eyes. As, and she herself becomes now favored. As opposed to what we saw last week, we find a different Naomi. Not bitter, but happy, excited, receiving kindness. Verse 20, the first part is the center again of this, uh, um, the center of, of her claim is that Here's how she evaluates the, her situation. She recognizes God's Redeemer. She says, Blessed be Boaz. I mean, this is unexpected. That beyond Boaz is the Lord. The Lord, according to Naomi, has not left us off. He has not forsaken or abandoned us. 
Remember, that's exactly what she felt in the previous chapter. Forsaken, bitter. And the Lord, in her view, had done all of this, has brought her to a condition of forsakenness, abandonment. God was mad at her. That, that's, that was her evaluation last week. So she felt. This is why her statement here at the end of chapter 2 is a sign of a turning point in hope. That she dares to hope. Something clicks in her head. There was, uh, it's almost like uh, she understands that God is at work. God has quite walked out on us after all. That she acknowledges God always keeps His promise. That He's faithful to do His kindness to the living and to the dead. To the living which is Naomi and Ruth. And to the dead which is Elimelech and Malon and Kilion. God still loves us. In bad times as well as in good. He has a plan. Although Naomi never talks with Boaz. She already perceives that Ruth might be the way that God will restore them through this redemption provided. And this chapter of the story, verse 21-23, concludes with an agreement of what to do next. We see the full picture only when we will get at the end of our story in chapter 4. But this is the beginning of changes. That Naomi, after hearing of Boaz's kindnesses, uh, agrees on Ruth going and continuing to glean there. Because she sees that God is in the detail. She finally, birth gives birth to hope. And our text concludes that she remains until the end of the harvest. And Ruth becomes the unlikely, therefore, breadwinner in this needy situation. Richard Baxter once says, Faith has wings and to meditate, it's the chariot of those wings. As you meditate, as Naomi meditates, the bitter widow finally finds faith and hope through Ruth's initial meeting with Boaz to see the hand of God. And no matter how dark and hopeless it had looked like until then, you remember that God's promise never failed. That one way or another, God will come through. As she begins to see what God is actually working in this situation. And you can come out of depression like Naomi. But the key of that coming out of that depression is the promise of God. That you don't give up before the dawn that you're about to face. Have you ever experienced, friends, such loyal love from God through even other people? Whether in an answer prayer, unexpected provision, or simply, simply having a good day like Naomi is having right here. Treasure the faithfulness of God. Because only believers can, can say this confidently. That God has been good to us. So examine yourself in the light of this. That you must be under the covenant, under the wings of protection and refuge. So that you find his favor otherwise God will judge those who are not under the wings of his refuge so what we see here is again we have two widows and their situation still needs some long-term solution obviously 
but we can say they're no longer desperate. We might not yet be out of the fog, but better than we started, for sure. And all this because God's sovereignty, friends. That God's providence is orchestrating behind the scene. This story shows us that even in the midst of a catastrophe, the degeneration of society, as we mentioned last week, the, the society of judges was incredibly lawless. That God still has a plan. That instead you are sure of His control, that He provides, He completes what He starts. He can be trusted. Even unworthy sinners like us can cling that promise. Yet our God also works to create character and qualities in us like Boaz or Ruth, which are pointing to us again that the ultimate provision of redemption comes through a better Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Nothing, friends, happened by chance. Would you agree? Everything is under the protection.